I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 8. Psalm 8 this morning. And I've already had people say to me, oh, you're skipping my favorite psalm. We're not going to be doing all 150, but um, I wish we could. Um, Maybe someday, who knows? Um, You know, every experience of of man's heart uh, is reflected, I think, in the Psalms. No matter what emotion you find yourself in, uh, some psalm will give voice uh, to your mood. And there are different ways to categorize the psalms, and, and there are probably about a dozen different types of psalms, and we're going to hit on, I'm trying intentionally to hit on a number of those different types of psalms in this series. So the first psalm we looked at was Psalm 1. It was a great place to start. Psalm 1 and 2 provide a great introduction to the psalms. So Psalm 1 is a wisdom psalm. The second psalm that we looked at last week is a messianic psalm. It's a psalm that points us uh, to the Messiah. And, and then Psalm 8 that we're looking at this morning is a psalm of praise and thanksgiving uh, that really covers our salvation history. If you think over the years of, of how, think about how much the psalms in times of, of need have comforted you. I, I hope that you turn to the Psalms. I know that many of you do. And just multiply that over generations and generations of all the Christians throughout the world, throughout history, millions, probably billions of times who have turned to the Psalms and found comfort there. Um, sometimes we don't know what to pray for someone. I know that we've talked about this before, but I I love being able to find verses of scripture to pray for people. When you do that, you know you're praying God's will. You know you're praying exactly what God wants for us when we pray scripture. And a great place to start looking at a a verse to pray for someone is in the Psalms. Um, One commentator, Derek Kidner, says this about Psalm 8. The Psalm is an unsurpassed, example of what a psalm should be, celebrating as it does the glory and grace of God, rehearsing who he is and what he has done, and relating us and our world to him, all with a masterly economy of words and in a spirit of mingled joy and awe. And you have that quote on your outline, you can enjoy reading it again later. But the theme of Psalm 8, and this is on your outline, is the greatness of God and the place of man within God's universe. So follow along in your Bibles as we read Psalm 8. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. 
You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds, and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky, and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is God's word for us this morning. Well, this psalm has an obvious outline, and so that's what we're going to follow. Those make up the main points on the outline that that you have. And the first thing that we see is the call to celebrate God's majesty. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Well, you know, if you you watch the news, you've seen that that Queen Elizabeth uh, passed away. Uh, most of us this morning don't have many memories of another um, ruler, sovereign uh, in, in England, monarch, whatever you want to call her. Um, and you've probably heard that there are 10 days of national mourning, um, that uh, the funeral is going to be a week from tomorrow. So uh, as long as there's no other news, we're going to be listening a lot to, we'll, we'll get I read a book a while back called British History for Dummies. I, I felt like I needed that. And uh, I, I think we're going to get a little dose of our British history this next, um, this next week. Um, Los Angeles pastor Jack Hayford, uh, who's retired and passed away, but he was in, with his wife and uh, happened to be visiting England when the country was celebrating the Queen's 25th year of being queen. This was in 1977. And Hayford said he saw the deep feeling and emotion that the people of England had for the queen. And, and he, said, he said, as he thought about that, he said, I, I know that Christ is our leader in good times and bad, and I hope that every Christian has in their hearts what, what he saw in England they had in their hearts for their queen. And so he kept thinking about this word. The word majesty kept coming back to his mind. And, and so he said to his wife, you know, I want you to write some stuff down because I'm just thinking of this word majesty. And so could, could you just write this down? Majesty, worship his majesty. Unto Jesus be glory and honor and praise. Majesty, kingdom, authority flow from his throne unto his own. His anthem raise, so exalt, lift up on high the name of Jesus, magnify, come glorify Christ Jesus the King, majesty, worship his majesty, Jesus who died, now glorified, King of all kings. I think we've all sung that, Um, and that's where it comes from. So why is praising God's majesty so important for the psalmist? Well, because what we think about God is how we will live our lives. What do you think about God? So maybe we can start here. What is it that you most appreciate about your best friend? What is it that made you, if you're married, marry your spouse? What about him or her did you love? You know, I think it's probably safe to say that we have a positive mental picture of our best friend, of our spouse. 
we know they're not perfect. But what we focus on makes all the difference. Your mental image of God matters even more. And he is perfect. Jesus said in Matthew 22, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. You can only love God with all your heart when you see him as being good. When you see God as being uh, the, the God that, you, that, that the Bible says he is. That he's good all the time. It's not God who needs to be different. It's, our, it's our, the, our mind, the way we think about God that needs to be different. We always need to bring our, our mind in line with the, the word of God. The word of God is the plumb line that will help us think correctly about God. So how does this psalm describe God? This is the first time David uses the plural uh, and, and invites us to worship. So this is a, a corporate worship. It's just one of the things I love about coming together. I, I hope you have personal times of worship. But man, for me, I just love being able to come together and worship corporately. There's something about that that's, it really is a taste of heaven for us as we come together on Sunday mornings to worship. And so he says, Lord, our Lord, he is our ruler and king. He is my ruler and king, but he is our ruler and king. And the two words for Lord in verse one are not the same in Hebrew. The first word is the word, in your Bible, it's usually all capitalized, but in lowercase, and that represents Jehovah, Yahweh. Uh, and out of respect for his personal name, it's, it's they, they don't use the vowels, as you know, probably have heard in, in Hebrew when they, when they have it. They just use the consonants. And the significance of, of that name Yahweh is that he exists in and of himself. He created the earth. He existed before the universe came into being. He is Yahweh. And the second word, Lord, is the word Adonai in Hebrew. And that means ruler or master or king. And in other words, David is speaking of God and he's saying, oh, Yahweh, our king, how majestic is your name in all the earth. God is today who he was before the, the, the world was created, the galaxies were created before creation, and he is the same, he will be the same in the future. It's like in Hebrews 13, he is the same, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we can depend on him we, can, he, we know that he will be consistent. We know that he is faithful. We know that he is a trustworthy God. Even the Queen of England knew that and trusted the Lord. I don't know her heart of hearts. Uh, even Billy Graham is not the final ruler on the Queen. But Billy Graham, uh, I, I saw this quote that, that uh, he quoted about the Queen. And it was a quote from the Queen. And she said this, she said, throughout my life, the message and teachings of Christ have been my guide and in them I find hope. So even the queen knew that she had to trust Christ, that she will bow the knee to Christ, even though everyone will curtsy and do the right thing and before her all the time. The next phrase is, you have set your glory in the heavens. Uh, creation can express God's glory, but it's, it's incomplete. 
because God has set his glory in the heavens and nothing under the heaven can praise him adequately. He is worthy of all of our praise and all of the praise we don't give him, he's worthy of it all. And yet we find the privilege of being able to do that, to praise him for who he is. And according to verse two, even the infants and children will praise God, and they do. Through the praise of children and infants, praise and worship is, is how we establish a stronghold against the enemy. And, and this is on your outline, praise is where spiritual warfare begins. You, you, you're feeling attacked spiritually? Begin with praise. And there are some practical reasons why we do that. Praise helps us, and this isn't on your outline, this is just for free, okay? Praise helps us focus on God. It takes us off the focus off of ourselves and puts it where it should be onto the Lord. And then praise helps us to know God. That's the second thing. Praise helps us know God. As we praise him, we rehearse our knowledge of him. Right, that's what we're praising him for who he is. And, and we come to know him as we're praising him for being who he is. It deepens our knowledge of God. And then the last thing is it breaks Satan's oppression. Think of Paul and Silas in, in prison and what are they doing in prison in Acts 16? They're praising the Lord, they're singing praises to God while they're in prison. It's a little dramatic. They get delivered. The doors open up and they walk out. But I, I think that points to the fact that when we do praise, uh, we, will be, we, we will have spiritual victory. We will be able to walk through those doors and things that seem closed for us because Satan is opposing us. And so praise is so powerful in our lives. Psalm 8 is used several times in the New Testament. It's only used once by Jesus. Uh, Jesus enters Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and, and while he's in the temple area, he's healing the blind and the lame who've come to him. And the children uh, are there and they continue to shout, Hosanna to the son of David. And this made the religious leaders pretty angry. And Jesus quotes Psalm 8 to the religious leaders. And he says in Matthew 21, have you never read from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise? And so the message of Psalm 8 is that God's majesty is there and even the children will proclaim it. God does his greatest work through human weakness, even children. And this Psalm is saying that God has ordained praise from himself even from the mouth of babes. These religious leaders knew exactly what Jesus was saying when he was quoting Psalm 8 to them. They understood that Jesus was identifying himself as God. And in verse, uh, verse 2 of, of Psalm 8, Though the, through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. And this was not lost on the religious leaders who were there. Jesus knew that they were being compared to the foes and the avengers. In other words, Jesus, is, he, Jesus seemed weak to the spiritual religious leaders of the day. And when God chooses to do great things, he will often choose the weakest people, or at least the people who know they're weak before God. 
The Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 1, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. You know, maybe you've been like me and, and you've, you know, it's, it seems to, it's always awkward when we talk about spiritual life and maybe share our testimony and we know God wants us to, to talk to someone about the Lord and it's just awkward. And sometimes I, I know that I have been in situations like that where I look back and I just said, man, could I have said anything worse at the wrong time? Just, I just feel like I totally blew it. And then the person will be responsive to, to God, to his Holy Spirit. And I'm thinking, man, I know that is the Lord because that wasn't me. I said everything wrong. And maybe you're like me and you can identify with that, saying the wrong thing at the wrong time, but somehow God still comes through and uses it. God has a way of doing that. He loves using weak things to confound the wise. And when God uses us in our weakness, all the glory goes to him, whose majestic name permeates heaven and earth. And there's a way that we can pray this psalm. You know, we've entitled this series, Praying the Psalms. The psalms were to be sung, but they can also be prayed. And so to pray this psalm, man, we can, we can go to the Lord and we can say, Father, thank you for who you are, that your name is majestic in all the earth. We can turn every song we sing here corporately into a, a prayer back to God of worship. And we can say, Lord, thank you that you use us. Thank you that you choose us weak as we are and that you use us, that you use me for your glory. The second thing we see in this psalm, the next uh, section really, is in verses three and four, and that's the importance of confessing our insignificance. David expresses it so simply in verse three. When I consider your heavens... The work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. Boy, can you imagine what David would say if he understood what we do about the galaxies, about space? He looked at at just, you know, he didn't have the city lights to deal with like we do today. But... um, you know, we understand so much through science. I was trying to think of a way to express this that, that I could kind of begin to grasp. There weren't, I mean, it was hard because how do you grasp creation and all that God has created? Um, you know, you're holding a piece of paper in your hand and I, I read this and I thought this was pretty amazing. So you gotta kind of follow me with this, okay? So the thickness of this paper, obviously very thin. If this represented the distance between the earth and the sun, 93 million miles, this thin piece of paper would represent, then the distance between earth and the nearest star, again, this is 93 million miles, the thickness of this, would be paper stacked up 70 feet high. Think about that. And just what we know about our galaxy just continuing with the thickness of one sheet of paper, from one end of our galaxy to the other would be a, would be a stack of papers 
310 miles high. (laughs) Again, it's just hard to get my mind around that. I don't know if it is for you, but it is for me. But that's what God has created. And that's just our galaxy. Think of all the galaxies beyond our galaxy. So how is all of this sustained? Well, Paul says it in Colossians 1. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realm and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. That's who Christ is. That's who God the Son is. And after seeing the creation through his eyes, David says, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? So he puts in perspective who we are before God. Human beings that you care for them. So how should I think about God? Well, if if our galaxy, the thickness of this one sheet of paper, if our galaxy is 310 miles high and is just a speck of dust in the universe that God created with his fingers, and if God upholds it like it says in Hebrews 1.3 by the word of his power, then don't ask a God like this into into your life to be your assistant. He is worthy of being king of all of the universe. He is the king. He wants you to acknowledge his kingship, not just in your life for salvation, that for sure, but every part of your life. He wants to be Lord of every part of your life. And so it's, it's, we're all human. We all say, Lord, you come into my life, come into these closets and, and clean them out. But there is a closet back here I don't want you to touch. I don't want you to touch the the problem I've got with pornography or the problem I've got with alcohol or the problem I've got with drugs or, or this or that, whatever it is. He wants to be king over that area in your life as well. And you don't just say to that kind of king, look, when I need you, I'll call you. No, that's not how we respond to this king. We do everything we can to give every area of our lives over to him. Our majesty, our king. And again in verse four, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You know, if you just go by the, the, the numbers of the verses, this, ver, this, this psalm is really about man, mankind. It's not about God, but it sure places God in the, at the beginning and the end. Verses one and nine, same verse, repeated. And so God is, is, is important. Man is sandwiched in between who God is. And if we, uh, again, but what we learn about mankind is that we're created by God. We're framed in between verse one and verse nine of who God is. 
O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And what strikes David is, is how small man is by comparison to who God is. That's why what we think about God is so important. You know, most of us, have, I think, around here have had the experience of, of going, to the, uh, going up to Julian, and uh, there are fewer city lights up there, and we see the stars, and it's pretty amazing. Or maybe we've been out in the Borrego Springs in the desert, and we see the beauty of the stars without the city lights. And this canopy of, of, of what's in, over us is just almost overwhelming. And I'm sure you've seen pictures and just it, the sky is full of shooting stars everywhere. It's just unbelievable. I read recently that our Voyager 2 spacecraft had reached Neptune and sent back pictures. And um, I guess the pictures came back to Earth. I was reading at the speed of light, 180,000 miles per second. And it took four hours to get here, the picture, when it was sent at that speed. Think of the billions and billions and billions of stars out there. And they're all God's artwork. We get to see it, I think, here in San Diego, maybe more beautifully than ever. Please, if you get bored here, you always have God's creation to look at out there. Uh, And so you've got this on the outline, and this God cares for us. How crazy is this? That the God who created this vast universe should think of us and care for us. And yet God does. God cares for you. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your care on him because he cares for you. He cares for you. There was a a radio evangelist that had a radio ministry during Vietnam era, and he wrote this. He said, while in Okinawa, Japan, I would uh, end each radio ministry broadcast with an invitation to call in questions and requests. One night, a military man called, asking me to come and see him. When I arrived the next morning, um, I I noticed that he wore a Congressional Medal of Honor, rarely awarded to the living, on his Special Forces uniform. In Vietnam, he said, I was the only man in my outfit left alive. I'd pulled out of two burning choppers uh, and and the the charred bodies of friends I'd served with. I had a broken leg, arm, and back. I looked up into the sky and said, God, I'm about to decide whether to try to hang myself or just hang on. Would you just let me know if you exist? Then God spoke to me. I didn't hear a voice, but he said clearly to me, I am God, I care for you, and will spare your life. You're going to find me. The soldier went on, listening to you speak last night, I realized you're the one I need to talk to. Tell me how to find the God that spoke to me in Vietnam. And I told him how to receive Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And then he said, would you tell my wife? And she also received Christ, as well as their 10-year-old boy. They all opened their hearts to the Savior. See, that's how God cares for us. Think about how God has cared for you to bring you into a personal walk with him. This is what God does. And not only does God think and care for us, which is what verse four says, but he has also crowned us with glory and honor. 
And in verse five, and leads us to the third part of this psalm. This is number three on your outline. His worth gives us worth. Verse five begins, you have made him a little lower than the angels. This means that God has given us mere specks that we are in this vast universe, a glory and honor above everything else he has created. In other words, we're not just animals that God has breathed life into. God has given us this unique, exalted place as, as a, in the created world. David underlines this point in two ways. He says that we are crowned with glory and we're crowned with honor. So remember what the psalmist said back in verse one. In verse one, you have set your glory above the heavens. This is the glory of God that David was speaking of. And then in verse five, he says, you have crowned him with glory. Him meaning mankind with glory. In other words, David is affirming what we read in Genesis. David surely had knowledge of Genesis, which is pretty cool to think about, that that we are created in God's image and that we reflect God's glory in ways that other parts of creation can't because we're made in the image of God. David is affirming what we know in Genesis and and we're reflecting God in, in, in a special way. And then he says in verse six that God gave us the role as rulers over the world and and its creatures. Look beginning at verse six, you made them rulers over the works of your hand and you put everything under their feet. All flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea and all that swim uh, the paths of the seas. So rule has something that is usually reserved for God alone. Paul even says this in Timothy, he says in 1 Timothy 6 that God is the blessed and only ruler, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. But even though we're insignificant, we become the means of God's dominion over all the works of his hand. So again, verse six, you made them rulers over the works of your hand, you put everything under their feet. So David is saying in the psalm that, that, that he is sharing his rule with us. He's given us responsibility over this world. I'm not sure what good of a job we've done, but we're working on it, I think. But here's the sad thing. Although we're made in God's image and ordained to become increasingly like God, that's what God wants for us, we turn our backs on God. Why, we all know people who've done that. We've probably done that ourselves, speaking of each one of us. And, and since we won't look upward to God, the, the, the other option is to become more and more like the beasts around us. And we do things to each other that even beasts don't do to themselves. Murder each other, all the... You can turn on the news any night and see all the horrible things we do to each other. But God has made us to reflect his glory. So what does this mean for us practically? I'll tell you what it means practically. It means that racism is absolutely detestable to God. Because God loves all creation the same. 
And when you know this, then racism is revolting to you. We, we work to honor all people, no matter what their skin color, no matter where they've come from. And you have this on your outline, God has made all people as a reflection of his glory. You know what else you think practically, if, if, if life is so precious to God, if we have this high place in the universe, why would we kill unborn children? And so abortion becomes absolutely evil and wrong because all people, even the unborn, carry God's glory. Every person is crowned with glory and honor. As a society, we've lost sight of God because we no longer see ourselves as made in God's image to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And it looks like the only other direction we can go is the animal kingdom. And when you eliminate God, that's what you have left. God's glory is displayed in the person sitting right next to you. You want to see God's glory displayed? Look in the mirror. You will see God's glory displayed. And if you see disappointment, be reminded that you're created for glory and honor by God. The God of the universe is mindful of you. And he crowns you with glory and honor. And we're given the responsibility to reflect that to the world. So here's how we can pray this. We're talking about praying the Psalms. We can pray this by saying we come before God to worship him in true humility. And at the same time, we recognize the place God has given us in the world. And we seek to do his will and live for him and reflect his glory to the people around us. And that leads us to number four, and that is to never stop celebrating God's grandeur. Again, verse nine. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. All of our problems stem from not knowing who God is or temporarily forgetting it. So what does God do? Well, we know what he does, and because he's done it, he's an awesome God. He shows us his grace in Jesus He sends his son into the world to save us from ourselves, from our sin. And that's why the author of Hebrews uses Psalm 8 in in Hebrews chapter 2, and he applies it to Jesus, saying that he was made a little lower than the angels in order to come and die for us, he's made a man, and that as a result, the father has crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. Quoting Psalm 8, 6. Adding and putting, and, and adds this in verses 7 and 8 of Hebrews 2. In putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. And that's a parallel statement to what Paul writes this hymn that the first church saying we think in the first century uh, from Philippians chapter 2 and being found in the appearance as a man Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to death even death on a cross therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow 
in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And how will this play out in the future? Everything is not subject to Jesus now, but it will be. Every knee will bow to him. Hebrews 2.8, at present we do not see everything subject to him. But what we do see is in the next verses in Hebrews. Hebrews 2.9, we see Jesus now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Therefore, holy brothers, we share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Why? Because what you think about God, what you think about God the Son, will change the way you live your life. And this is on the outline. It is by God's grace that he saved us and gave us a new desire for him. And while we're still on this earth, it is the grace of God that is at work in our lives to conform us to Jesus. To conform us to Jesus. And so we end Psalm 8 where David started. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. How do we pray this? We praise God for his grace. We pray that we would live by his grace. We pray that we would live, as Martin Luther said, lives of repentance. Has God given you a challenging task to do? Well, maybe there's something that seems impossible to you. But you know what? God chooses to use broken vessels. We're all broken vessels. I just want to end with this. Um, 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says, we have this treasure, the Holy Spirit, God in us, in jars of clay, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful psalm. How is it possible, Lord, that we fill your mind that you think of us, that you care for us. Thank you for the truth of your amazing imagination and creation and that you visited us through Jesus. We know that we fill your mind because you were willing to go to the cross for us. And we pray that we would uh, take all these truths and allow them to reshape the way we look at ourselves and the way we look at the world and especially the way we think about you. We pray this in Jesus' strong name. Amen. This is from Psalm 112. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Blessed, fortunate, prosperous, and favored by God is the one who fears the Lord with awe-inspired reverence and worships him with obedience, who delights greatly in his commandments. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. And please greet some folks around you before you leave.